Thank you, Carrie and team. It's always wonderful to be part of a worship service uh, led in such a way. And good morning, Richfield Baptist Church. It's good to be with you again. Debbie and I have uh, continued to pray for you, and it's uh, an honor and privilege to be with you. If I've not met you yet, my name is uh, John Ravel, or as John said, the Rev. I'm a full-time chaplain for first responders, um, mostly in southwest Connecticut, but more recently across the entire state. And um, uh, this is my third time uh, sharing God's word with you, and it's, it's always a delight and a privilege and a blessing to be with you. Before we get into God's word, why don't we pause and ask the Lord to bless this particular part of the worship service to accomplish his, his purposes in it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the light of your glory. We thank you that we can hide and be sheltered in your glory and that we don't have to face the darkness in our own strength or with our own meager flickering light. Father, thank you that your glory outshines uh, all of us and everything in the universe. And we worship you in that today. Father, thank you for loving us enough to reveal yourself to us in the living word, Jesus Christ, but also in the written word, the Holy Scriptures. And so for the next few minutes, Father, as we come into your word, we ask that you would open our hearts and our minds to receive your truth. Communicate your truth despite the speaker and his flaws. Father, you are perfect and your word is perfect, and we would have your word touch our hearts today. We ask all of this and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may not have experienced this, but you may know someone who has. Going through extreme crisis and difficulty, hardships, or times of confusion and perplexion, and uh, having your faith in the Lord, you call out to him, understanding that he is a loving father, and you pray, and you pray, and it's as if the prayers hit the ceiling and bounce off. And you pray some more in desperation. You say, God, please hear my prayers. And you wait for an answer, and it's not there. And again, you may not have had this experience, but I wouldn't be surprised if you know someone who is having an incredibly difficult time at work with people there or with the assignment that's been given and, and there's weakness and there's a prayer for God to either help with these difficult people, preferably move them out of the job to another job, uh, or to give me the strength that I need for this job, or prayers for health. And the one that you love continues to deteriorate and there's prayers that that God in his grace and mercy would bring healing. And you know all of the various scenarios in which that plea and that, that cry can go out to God. But what about those times where it seems like there's no answer? Or it seems like what happens and what unfolds is totally contrary to what you would expect from God. If you've been there, or if you know someone who has, I commend to you this morning the nation of Israel in their experience in the book of Exodus. Uh, go ahead and turn in your Bibles, if you're not there, to uh, the passage, Exodus uh, chapter 2. And at the end of, of chapter 2, and you'll remember in chapter 1, there's the scenario of the, 
uh, and two, there's a scenario of the, the Israelites going into uh, Egyptian slavery bondage, uh, Moses being raised up, uh, Moses growing up in Pharaoh's court, Moses committing murder, and leaving uh, is, uh, Egypt to go out and meet his new wife and Jethro, his father-in-law, and he is a shepherd in the wilderness for, uh, for 40 years. And at the end of that, there is this, uh, this passage. During those many days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. I would suggest to you this morning that in this passage and all that unfolds between uh, the end of chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 15, which is uh, Moses' song uh, in the crossing through the Red Sea, there are some incredibly valuable lessons about the nature of God answering prayer. And this morning I'd like to give uh, to you five axioms, if you will. Don't you love that word, axiom? I just wait for the right time to say it. Axiom. Five axioms, five principles about God and when he answers prayer. And I'll give you a heads up. And with each one, you don't have it in your bulletin, but I'm going to give you a takeaway point. Something that hopefully will help you to remember uh, the practical application of each of these truths. Uh, But the first one is found here in this passage. It says, after crying, that their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their, their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and, and Jacob. He saw the people of Israel, and God knew. And the first principle about, the first truth about God answering prayer is that he answers according to his character. Uh, now, I'll give you a heads up. We're going to spend the most of, uh, most of our time, or a chunk, major chunk of our time in this, because all of the others flow out of this. And I also need to, to say back, and you may have heard this, back 40 years ago, 40-plus uh, years ago when I was in Bible college, somebody said that uh, when God's children pray, and we're talking about now God's children, when God's people pray, he always answers. He either answers yes or no, or not yet. But I'd like to take it a step further and say that there are some, and sometimes you hear that, and that's, okay, that's like a cliche. How does that get me through this particular situation? But God always hears and answers prayers. But what's most important for us to remember this morning, that when he answers, he answers according to his character. Look at these, uh, these four descriptors in verse 4. It says, he heard their groaning. There are four things that, Jesus, uh, that God did here. He heard their groaning. He remembered his covenant with Abraham. Now, this remember does not mean that God had forgotten, and then all of a sudden he hears a person. Oh, yeah, I remember back a few hundred years ago, I made, it, it's not... Uh, in, in Hebrew, it doesn't mean that. It means that he took note of that promise and decided to take action. It's, uh, and it's uh, almost like an attorney who has studied the book of, of uh, all of the codes, and he's on a case, and he says, okay, I, I remember this point from uh, the law books, and this is going to be applied. 
So it's not a matter of God forgot and all of a sudden he reminded. It's on this occasion, he took note of what was being requested and he decided to apply his promises to Abraham. So he heard, he remembered his, his uh, promise to Abraham. It says he saw in verse 25. And then, and that means he looked upon. And then it says he knew them. Now, this word for knew them in the Hebrew, some of you, if anybody has the NIV, it says he was confirmed, uh, he was concerned for them. This is kind of a difficult word to, to translate into English. The Hebrew word is yada, and it literally means to know, but it's not to know just in head knowledge. It's to know through experience. It's often used uh, to speak of intimate experience. It's used of uh, husband and wife knowing each other in an intimate way. Uh, when it says Adam knew Eve and conceived and bore the child. So it is knowledge, not just head knowledge from an observation, but knowledge through an ongoing or a deep experience with. For instance, uh, two years ago, Debbie and I were found ourselves, or a year, year and a half ago, found ourselves in a situation we were renting a house in Monroe, and uh, the lease was coming up. We had the option to buy, but the owner uh, was asking way too much. And so we needed to find a place to live. And so we visited, we, with a realtor, went to multiple homes. And I could say, yeah, I know that house over on such and such a street. I know that house because I visited there. But in uh, February of last year, we embarked on an adventure to build a new home. Anybody ever done that? It's a good thing not to do. <laughs> Unless God is directly in it. And then it's an excellent thing to do. And again, back to um, uh, my ministry is to first responders. And sometime back we prayed that God would uh, provide a place where we could offer a place of peace where uh, cops and first responders could come and we could minister to them through hospitality, but there would be a place to go back in the woods. And uh, back in February of last year, God raised up a Christian brother and sister who not only had property in Newtown, but he was a, a building contractor and she was an architect. And God worked it out to where we are now in a situation. The house is, is uh, almost complete. It's such that we can live in it. But the mortgage is less than we could get rent anywhere in Fairfield County. So it is, it is miraculous. And sometimes I tell you the story. It's incredible. But I went into it as a co-contractor, essentially. From a legal stand, uh, standpoint, uh, Kevin took care of, of all the permits. But I, I was responsible for so much of what happened. And I want to tell you this morning... I know our house on 10 Castle Meadow Road. I was there on top of that hill in February of last year in about 10 inches of snow and saw it before any development started taking place. I know that house from when the blueprints were first put together by Karen and we saw what was going to unfold. I was there when Kevin started digging the hole 
that would provide the foundation of the house. And I was there as they started to pour the cement walls that would serve as the, uh, the basement. I purchased every item of merchandise that went into that house. I oversaw the hiring of subcontractors except for two for the whole thing. I know every inch of plumbing line and electrical wire in that house. I know every square inch of drywall. I know every inch of the 2 by 12 uh, uh, floor joists. I was there as it was going up. I know every single shingle. I paid for every board of red oak flooring on the first floor. I know every square inch that I have painted. And I've purchased every nail that has gone into that house. And we're still in the process. But when I say I know the house at Castle Meadow Road, at 10 Castle Meadow Road, I know that house by direct personal long-term experience. And brothers and sisters, I would say to you this morning that when you pray to God and you call out to God, God hears you, he remembers his promises to you, he sees you, but he knows you. He knows you before the blueprint was totally drawn, completed for you. He knows you from when you were first conceived and you became an embryo and as each cell in your body divided and you grew into that baby in your mama's womb. He was there. He knew you. He knew every aspect of your development and he was there when you were ushered into the light of this outside world where previously you were in the inside world of the womb. He was there and he knows every aspect of you. He knows every cell in your physical body. He knows every thought that has ever entered into your mind. He knows every fear, every ounce of anxiety, every instance of panic. He knows every hurt you have ever encountered. He knows you far more than you know yourself. And when God answers prayer, it's based on his character of compassion and faithfulness. And the takeaway from this particular point for you this morning is it's impossible for God to respond to you in your prayer apart from his character of concern, compassion, and love. You never have to wonder if God cares for you. You never have to wonder if God is going to hear your prayers and respond to you. You have every reason to be absolutely and totally confident in who God is. Not because of your character. Honestly, our character is not worthy of it. Israel's character was not worthy of it as they demonstrated time and time again. He doesn't answer prayer based on our worthiness or our character. He hears and responds to our prayers based on who he is, his characters, 
his, his character, his promise to you, and his faithfulness to uphold his promises. So when God answers prayer, he answers according to his, based on his character. Secondly, when God answers prayer, sometimes it gets worse before it gets better. Now, God answered prayer. There's no doubt, because not long after this, if you go into, and you don't have to read this now, but you go into uh, chapter 3 of Exodus, as God is appearing to Moses in the burning bush, uh, in verse 7, he says, I have surely seen the affliction of my people, so there's the seeing who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry because of the taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. So, God meets with Moses. He tells him, this is what the plan is. In 3 and 4, it's like, oh no, I don't want to do it. But God says, yes, you're going to do it, and Aaron's going to help you. And you know that story if you've grown up in the church. And so in uh, chapter, the end of chapter 4, Moses and Aaron make their way to the Israelites. And this may be uh, a couple of months. There's no way to know for sure. But at the end of chapter 4, uh, in verse 31, it says, they go to him and say, God has heard your prayers. He sent us. We're going to deliver you into a, a new uh, setting, a new scenario, a, a land filled with uh, milk and honey. And uh, in verse 31, it says, The people believed, and when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshiped. So here, at last, okay, we prayed. We called out to God. God has heard our prayers. He's answered. He's brought Moses and Aaron. And so now everything's going to look good. Everything's headed in the right direction. This is great. Praise God. And it's really easy to praise God when it looks like everything's going to be great. But then chapter 5 comes along. And Moses and Aaron go into the court and said, uh, God says, let my people go. And to their surprise and chagrin, Pharaoh didn't say, oh, okay, my bad. Go right ahead with my blessing. He said, uh, first, I don't know you, and I don't know this God that you're talking about. And furthermore, I'm not going to let them go. I mean, how stupid is that? They are the, the backbone of our economy right now. Slave labor is making it work for us. So we've got this free labor. Are you nuts? I'm not going to let these people go. And furthermore, it's obvious that you guys have more time on your hands than, than is justified. So I'm going to fill up your schedule more. I'm going to reduce the straw and all of the resources necessary. You've got to gather your own straw, make your own mud, but your quota, daily quota, is the same. And the taskmasters go at it, and the Israelites are saying, wait a minute, this is not what we bargained for. And they call Moses and Aaron in, and towards the end of chapter 5, in 20, they met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to him, the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. And then Moses goes to God and said, God, what are you doing? Was God answering prayer? Yes. Had God given or gone back on his character or for stopped to see them or stopped hearing them or stopped knowing them and, and forsook? No. 
all of it was unfolding, but not the way they expected it. And the reality is that God may be answering prayer, but it's conceivable that things may get worse before they get better. And it was that case for the Israelites, and sometimes that may be the case for us. And the reality for us, and here's the takeaway, the reality for us is just because everything is awful doesn't mean he's not heard your prayers. In fact, things getting worse may be an indication he actually is working things out. Don't despair. Don't be anxious. Don't fall into the temptation of thinking God has forgotten me. Because if he remembered me, it wouldn't be so bad. Well, you know the story. And uh, Moses uh, uh, went back to God and, and all of the plague started and, and uh, the things started to unfold. Uh, but it didn't happen immediately. And here's the next uh, principle, axiom. When God acts, answers prayer, he acts on his timeline not ours. The ten plagues that unfolded after chapter 5, one commentator says that it was probably in the neighborhood of seven months for all of that to unfold. Now, if you add a couple of, two or three months before that for God to get Moses' attention and get him out of uh, the, uh, the land of, of uh, Jethro and his family and back into Egypt, then you add a couple of months after that to get all the way uh, through the Red Sea, it's conceivable that there were 10 to 12 months to get from them crying out and asking God to, uh, to work and the final walking through the Red Sea and deliverance. That wasn't their timeline. When we pray, when do we want the answer? Right now. And this is not new. You've heard this before, but we are a people, a culture of instant gratification. I was thinking back, the first time I heard this was when I was a kid, and some of the, the, the protests related to the Vietnam War, and it was a phrase, and they're marching, what do we want? Peace. When do we want it? Now. It, it was always odd to me that riots broke out in the midst of calling, we want peace, and so we're going to riot so that we can get peace. But every protest since has had, what do we want? Equality. When do we want it? Now. What do we want? Justice. When do we want it? Now. What do I want from you, God? Deliverance. When do I want it? Now. But God's not confined to our timeline. In fact, if he did all of this according to our timeline, we would likely be in far worse shape than letting him do it in his timeline. Because he knows. He knows the right time. And long ago I heard the phrase, God may not always be on time, but he's never late. You know, from our standpoint, if he were on time, it means he's going to provide this right here, here. 
And I mentioned this uh, when I was here last time. I like this whole notion of plan your life and live your plan. You know, so, okay, I've got this time point and this point. So as we're building, we've got to do this. Quick story about the building. We we lived in, we bought a uh, 30-foot RV. And that was our home. And it was going to be for six months until the house was built. Well, we lived in the RV for 367 days. So our timeline was six months until the house is done and we get in. Yeah, that wasn't the Lord's timeline or the subcontractor's timeline. But it was the right timeline. You know, we set up these dates that we were going to uh, be finished by so that we could be in before the winter, before the zero temperature started to come. And our poor RV, we called her Grace or Gracie because it was God's grace. She was a three-season RV that we had to outfit for four seasons. And it was an interesting experience. I, I can't wait for you to meet my wife. She is a saint, and she was a trooper through the whole thing. But we put out these, these timelines, and just, okay, we're this, 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 and this. But God wasn't on board with our timeline. And when God answers our prayer, he answers, he acts on his timeline, not ours. And here's the takeaway. Similar to when things get worse. Just because the Lord seems delayed in his response doesn't mean he's ignoring you. Just because we say, God, this is what I want, and I want it now, just because he doesn't give it now. Lord, I need a new job because this one's driving me crazy, and I really need it yesterday. Well, if the Lord agrees that I need that new employment his timeline may not match up with mine, but it's going to be better. But that timeline and that delay doesn't mean he's ignoring me. I'm praying for healing right now, but the Lord's timeline might not line up with ours. So, <coughs> excuse me. When he answers prayers on his timeline, not ours. Uh, fourth, when God answers prayer, he gives what we need, not necessarily what we want. Now, where do I get that? Well, the Israelites at the end of chapter 2, what they were calling out for was relief. They were experiencing unprecedented levels of pressure and pain. Up to that point, they were slaves under the Egyptian pharaoh, but it wasn't as bad as when the new pharaoh came on the scene. And he ratcheted things up, and things got really bad. So their greatest desire was not necessarily for relocation. Their greatest desire was for relief. And, you know, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be a stretch to think that they were looking for relief, but maybe deliverance from slavery there in Egypt, because they had lived there for, uh, for centuries now with uh, no problems. And th- probably, if you surveyed, I wouldn't be surprised if the bulk of them said, we're happy here in Egypt, we just don't want to be slaves, because they had success at that. 
they wanted relief from that particular scenario. What God saw that they needed was deliverance from slavery. And so just because we don't get necessarily what we want doesn't mean God's not answering your prayer because he's more concerned about giving us what we need. And the, the next takeaway. God loves us too much to give us what we want. How many parents do we have in here? How many of you, if your three-year-old came up to you and said, Mommy, Daddy, I want to take this key and put it in the light socket, would give them what they want? No. Does the fact that the child want to do that mean that it's a good thing for the child? The 14-year-old comes and says, Dad, I'd like the keys to the car so I can go out with my, my buddies tonight. The teenager may really want the keys to the car, but does that mean a loving father is going to give him the keys to the car? No. And the father's refusal to give the keys, even though the child, the teenager wants it, doesn't mean the father's being bad or doing anything wrong. Loving parents know when to not give their children what they want. And in fact, not giving what they want shows greater love. And we know as parents what our children need. Do our children always appreciate our perspective on what they need? Mine didn't. I don't know about yours. Mine didn't. I, I can't remember the times my children said, Dad, I really disagreed with your perspective on that, but I really love you for taking I, I really appreciate Thank you. Thank you for saying no. I can't remember that ever happening. God loves us too much to give us just what we want. And then finally... You know the story. God got them through the, the plagues. Pharaoh said, get out of here. I don't want to see you. They packed up. They took off. They got to the Red Sea. They're stuck. Pharaoh says, uh-oh, I messed up. My bad. He goes back and tries to get them. God opens the Red Sea. They go through. The Egyptians try to follow it. Caves in on them, kills them, and they get out. And chapter 15 is just a glorious, glorious uh, celebration of Moses, Song of Moses. I commend it to you. But this is the one, the final uh, point for this morning. When God answers prayer, he acts according to his plan, not ours. Their plan was for relief and deliverance, or uh, removal from uh, slavery. God's plan was to relocate them and put them in an entirely different setting and go back to chapter 2. It says he remembered his promises to Abraham, which were he would raise up a great nation in the promised land. And their plan was immediate, right here and now. This is our current plight. We want relief from our current plight. 
But God's plan had an eternal component to it. Because God didn't want to just get them away from their pain and their sorrow and their frustration. God wanted to deliver them from slavery, but put them in a position where he could establish his people, the nation of of Israel, as his chosen people and through them to raise up the promised Messiah. God's plan was to have this Passover Seder established where blood is shed for the passing over of death, knowing that some 1,500 years or so later, the perfect lamb would be sacrificed at the conclusion of that Passover era, and his blood was shed so that people could experience a Passover of their own where the enemy was forced to pass over. His plan was for them to be delivered from slavery to Egypt, but God's eternal plan was to put them in a position where the Messiah could be born and raised so that we could experience eternal deliverance from slavery to sin. God had a much bigger plan. I used to be associate pastor of a church on Long Island 36 years ago. And in that town in Wontaw, there was a maze. I don't think I've shared this with you, but there was a maze. It was about uh, cinder, made out of cinder blocks about oh, four feet high. And uh, my oldest uh, was, I'm going to say, about four years old at the time. We got there, and he ran into the maze. Well, it was such that I was younger then. I could hop, push myself up onto that wall, and I could look down, and I could see the entire maze. All Micah could see was the block in front of him. So he's running through and he hits a a dead end. And so from my vantage point, I say, okay, no, Micah, turn here and turn here. And I was able, from my vantage point, to look and see the entire maze and guide him through the whole thing. From his vantage point, the walls were like three foot taller than him. And he he did not know how to get through it. God has the eternal perspective on this maze, not only of our life, but of history. And he has been overseeing this history from the outset. And he's got a plan to get his people all the way through to experience the eternal redemption that he has prepared for us. When God answers prayer, he acts according to his plan, not ours. And here's the final takeaway. We can trust our loving Father's plan. Just because it doesn't make sense to us doesn't mean that the answer to his prayer is wrong. When we call out to our loving Heavenly Father, we can trust that He's got a plan and He's going to work out that plan that will be for our good, but more than likely, when God works in our lives, it's not just for our personal blessing, it's so that it can impact a larger group. 
we can trust our loving Father's plan. When I was, I'm going to say two and a half, three years old, we lived in Florida, and we went to visit a, uh, a friend of the family's, and they, uh, they had a, uh, it was, I think it was 100 years old then, uh, frame Florida home, and um, we went there as a family, and I looked out the back screen door, and I saw a set of, sc- of uh, swings off in the distance. And so I hightailed it out uh, that back door and headed towards the swing. Unbeknownst to me, one of the window panes from the second floor had fallen out and had landed in the grass right between me and the swing, and I didn't see it. And I stepped squarely, my left foot, right in the middle of one of those planes, uh, panes of glass, and a shard came up and dug right into my ankle, just below the ankle bone. And I remember it vividly. I know I was very young, but I remember it vividly. I went down and I looked, and I immediately saw blood flowing into that open wound. Now, I was too young to know, unbeknownst to me, I was told later, that that actually severed an artery in my ankle, and I was in danger of bleeding to death. And so I did what any two-and-a-half, three-year-old would do. I screamed out for my mommy and daddy. And they came running. My father was a veteran Marine in the South Pacific in World War II, and he learned and applied uh, battlefield first aid. And so he saw the severity of what was going on. He immediately applied pressure and uh, clamped it down and uh, put me in the car. And as he raced to the, the doctor, the hospital, my mom held my ankle applying pressure now, from my, that standpoint, I was fine. There wasn't much pain. You know, I'm just kind of, hey, this is cool. Dad's going fast in the car, and, and uh, they look a little concerned, but, hey, I'm all right. I'm, you know, no more bleeding. I'm ready to go out and play. Um, they got me to the doctor, and the doctor uh, keeps the tourniquet applied. But he looks at it. And he opens up that wound, and I saw that happen. I thought, oh, my gosh, I do not like what he's doing. This is not good. And then he takes out a, a syringe with a long needle, and you know where he puts the end of that needle? Square in the middle of that wound. I did not like that at all. And I screamed out to my parents, why were they letting this man, total stranger, do these cruel things to my foot. This is not what I bargained for. This is not what I asked for. I wanted my parents to stop the bleeding. I didn't bargain for going into this strange place with all these metal things and a guy with a long needle jabbing it into my foot. That wasn't part of my request of my parents. And then he takes out a needle with thread. And he goes to start sewing on my ankle. Now, I saw my mom use needle and thread, and I thought, that doesn't go on skin. And I cried out to my mom and dad again. Did they stop this crazy man in a white coat from sticking needles and thread into my ankle? No, he did not. They did not. And I vividly remember him taking a swab, a bottle. Now I know it was iodine or something like that. And he says, would you like for me to paint your foot? And I said, No! And he proceeded to paint my foot anyway. 
And he wrapped it up with tape, and then it was okay. But I still wanted to go out and play, and my parents said no. And so the next day, we are at a church event at a swimming pool. I wanted to go swimming. Do you think my parents are going to let me go swimming with my foot all bandaged up? No. I wanted to go. They wouldn't let me go. And all five of these principles were at work in my parents' answering my pleas to them. I wanted relief. They wanted my well-being. They responded based on their character. It did get worse before it got better. Their timetable was totally different than mine. I was ready for it to be done right then. All of these things were at work. And their plan for me was much better than my plan. And they gave me what I needed, not what I wanted. And I'm alive today because of that. If that's the way earthly parents take care of their children, can't we trust our Heavenly Father to do the same with us? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are indeed a perfect, loving Heavenly Father, thank you that you do hear and respond to our prayers according to your character, your love, and your compassion. Thank you that even if it does get worse, we know that ultimately it's going to get better because you are in control. Thank you for your timeline. We affirm and confess it is indeed better than ours. Thank you that you don't give us just what we want, but you give us what we need. And thank you for your plan and how you are unfolding it. Now, Father, help us to trust you and let you be the Heavenly Father that you are. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.